Hello and welcome to episode 356 of Retro Encounter, RPG Fans Weekly Podcast of Many Topics. I'm Mike Solosi, and here on the crew of the good ship, uh, Retroglinda, I have three I have three other crew members. Who are they? Uh, let's start with Zach Wilkerson. Hello. And Peter Treisenberg. Hello. And Tyler Trossman. Hey. Uh, Zach, Peter, Tyler, we are here to discuss a very cult hit science fiction RPG from the early aughts, Xenosaga Episode 1, Der Will zur Macht. And uh, that title comes from Nietzsche, but this game itself comes from the fertile imagination of Tetsuya Takahashi, the uh, formerly of Square, of Square uh, who worked on several Final Fantasy games and was the main architect behind Xenogears. A- after Xenogears sort of didn't have the budget expectation that he wanted with uh, as part of Square. He founded his own studio, Monolith Soft, where they made the uh, Xenosaga trilogy, then a, a couple sort of more in-betweener indie games and are currently uh, ruling over a Xenoblade empire of sorts. And that is the short version of the studio that gave us the Xenosaga trilogy on PS2. Uh, but Peter, Tyler, Zach, let's talk about... Um, our, our individual histories with each of these games. And I'm going to go with the big hitter right from the beginning. Tyler, please pop off about <sighs> games that start with X, E, N, O for as long as you prefer. Okay. Well, long ago, back in the year 2003, I was looking forward to a game called Tomb Raider Angel of Darkness. But oh, while, no. I was, <laughs> while I was waiting oh, for no. that, I need, I, I know, right? So while I was waiting for that, I needed something to kill time. So then I found Xenosaga in a issue of Place, uh, no, it was official PlayStation magazine. I was like, oh, this looks pretty good to pass the time. Lo and behold, becomes my favorite game of all time, and Tomb Raider Angel of Darkness was uh, crap. Just utter crap. This is like going into a theater for a viewing of Sucker Punch and then being intrigued by uh, the trailer for Mad Max Fury Road at the beginning. That's a true fact. That is an an unlikely comparison, but I'll take it. That is, mm, yeah, spot on. But but, uh, Tyler, maybe I'm being a little bit unfair here, uh, but you are well known among staff for being a devotee of the Xeno games and we're probably the most excited person among staff when we oh. ultimately decided that uh, that Xenosaga was going to be the game that we cover for December. Gosh, um, yes. But, but uh, I mean, I mean, you did sort of discover it uh, by chance in t- 2003, but you, I mean, you're a, a, a big appreciator of the entire series before and after 2003. Uh, yes, because um, after that, I mean, I've been part of like message boards um, and different fan projects. Tyler, um, you were the exact first person that came to mind as to who needed to be on this panel uh, before we started recording this. But but uh, you and I aren't the only two here. Uh, uh, Zach, how far back do you go with the Xeno games? Pretty far, probably further than Tyler, actually. But I want to point out that Tyler literally worked for Operation Rainfall. He is one of the reasons we even have the Xenoblade series. So thank you, uh, Tyler. You say that as if I wasn't the person that interviewed Tyler when he was at Operation Rainfall for his uh, when he a- asked to join RPG Fan many years ago. You guys, right. stop it. Stop it. <laughs> We're picking Please. on Tyler it's too amazing. much. We're picking on Tyler too much. Uh, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm sorry, I, my guy. I, I love it, Tyler. I love <laughs> it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, 
Thank you. You 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 help bring me so many games I love. So I I my, my uh, uh, history with the Xeno series starts from the very beginning. I, I I played Xeno Gears right when it came out. I was very young and I was very not understanding things <laughs> that were happening in that <laughs> game, um, and I liked it a lot. But I um you know I dropped seventy five hours into a game that I didn't really understand, <laughs> and then. When Xenosaga came out, my experience in my, the word of mouth was like, this is like cutscene, the game, which honestly, I think is the truth so far. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, and, and, um, I mean, it's totally the truth. And then I, I finally picked up Xenoblade in 2017 and I played one, two and three. I played a little bit of cross and I am a huge Xeno fan. I love what Takahashi does. I love what Takahashi stands for in terms of what he's interested in in game design. You can see him playing with some of the ideas of game design for Xenoblade here. They don't work nearly as well. Um, but I, 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 I dig the Xeno series. Cool. Uh, now, Peter, same question. How far back do you go with the Xeno games, maybe Xeno Saga in particular? Yeah, so I mean, I w- did. I also was really into Xeno Gears, um, although I wasn't playing it back on the PlayStation. Um, I didn't play it until... It was a classic available for download on the PlayStation 3. Um, but I did really enjoy the game. Um, I'm one of those weirdos who thinks the second disc is the better part of the game because you don't have to play it as much. Um, <laughs> yeah, kindred spirits, baby. Um, but I, it's, I it's right. I'll, I'll bring balance back to the universe when it's my turn. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Um, but I, I really liked that game a lot. I liked the ideas it played with. I love its very ethereal. I love its musical score, especially. Even though I don't think it looks or plays the best, um, it was a very ambitious game for its time. And you could definitely see that Takahashi had big ideas. I didn't play the Xenosaga games until after the first Xenoblade had came out. I went. I really enjoyed that game. Went back to try the PS2 games that I missed out on. Got about 20 hours into this game and didn't like it, and so I bounced off it. But this was about 10 years ago. So I'm coming back to this now with a fresh, open mind. I have the whole trilogy available to me, and I do intend to at least play Xenosaga 3 at some point, because I've heard that is the good one. And yeah, I'm so far, I'm enjoying this playthrough quite a bit. Interesting. Well, I've heard similar to you, Peter. I've heard that one and three are the good ones, and two is the one that's maybe better experienced as reading a wiki article instead. It's it's the uh, the, the the chain of memories of the Z, of the Zeno Saga games, maybe. Yeah, it's like if there was a manga of Jen Sitz von Gut und Boss. I apologize to any German listeners. Um, then I would probably read that instead of playing the game. Well, let's just say it's probably not the best video game called Beyond Good and Evil. But uh... <laughs> there we go. But um, yeah, yeah. So I, I knew Xenosaga by reputation. This is my first time playing Xenosaga episode one, but I've owned Xenosagas one and two for several years now, at, at least since the mid 2000s. I don't know exactly when I, uh, I, I first got my grubby hands on them. But uh, uh, earlier than that, in probably around the 0102 range, when I was trying to play all of the PS1 RPGs I, I could get my grubby hands on, um, I, I did play Xenogears. Um, and it, I, I really, really liked it about 70% of the way through, but I just really fell off a cliff uh, partway through disc two. Like I, I did not like the change in narrative tone and design because I, I liked the goofy, weird martial arts combos from the on uh, on foot fighting in the beginning of Xenogears. And I saw, and I was, it, it, it felt almost exhausting for the idea to go back to it when we were when we did Xenogears episodes of Retro Encounter in 2016, which is why I didn't volunteer to be on those episodes. 
But so so I have mixed feelings about Xenogears, which is a game I have not finished, uh, and and was never really sure what to make of Xenosaga when they were uh, popular and spoken of well in RPG circles like like the RPG fan forums. Um, so so I collected the first two but never played them. But then when Xenoblade was getting hot in the 2010s, I played the first one on the Wii and really, really liked it. That that's Xenoblade Chronicles the first is the only Xeno game I have played through all the way to the end. So I I, I do enjoy Xeno at least a little bit. I'm a, I'm a Xeno appreciator, but not really a fan because I mean I've, I again I only I only had the stamina and interest level to finish one of them. But I have been Xeno curious for many years. And uh, and this was and this podcast was exactly the right time to play Xenosaga episode one. It's it's been like a finalist or on our ideas board for a couple of years now. For I don't know exactly how long, but quite a while. So so but but uh, but now was the exact uh, time and place to do it. As, and we're sort of doing this as it, it's not an official retro encounter themed month like uh, like like Mass Effect last month or uh, we did a Zelda month of 2018 Persona months twice. But we're not quite doing that for Xenosaga. But <laughs> by coincidence, we do have an episode from a few weeks ago on Xenoblade uh, Chronicles 3, which uh, Zach and Tyler, both of you were on. Yeah, indeed. Great game. And, and I think we're doing another Xeno adjacent episode uh, in early 2023. So please look forward to that. But uh, so we're in a bit. We're not, this is not a Xeno month, but we're in a bit of a Xeno zone uh, right now in December of 2022. Uh, but now Xeno Saga episode one, Der Wiedelsermacht, uh, it, it starts on uh, an excavation in Kenya where they discover a huge golden monolith of sorts called a Zohar. And I, it's never, it's really clear to me exactly what a Zohar is, except that it's a huge source of energy. And from that discovery in the year 20XX, not Mega Man 20XX, this is Xeno 20XX, uh, from that discovery, um, all of the technology uh, that, that humankind derived from this power source led to a science fiction future where uh, of faster than light travel and, uh, and colonization around the galaxy. So where we are now, Thousands of years after the discovery of the first Zohar, uh, uh, humanity is uh, spread across many different planets. Uh, there are huge advances in AI with multiple different types of robot of, uh, of robot or synthetic life forms. Uh, part of the uh, culture here, there's an alien race called the Gnosis, or that is, or, or is it Gnosis or just Gnosis? Uh, Gnosis. Okay, so silent G, got it. So the alien, an alien race called Gnosis. That is uh, trying to seek that same Zohar power source, and uh, and you start out on a ship called the Woglinda, maybe it's Voglinda, and that's transporting one of these Zohar. And uh, you, the main character, Shian Uzuki, is a scientist who works with uh, androids and uh, and aliens, which is a form of synthetic human and other AI, and uh, she's in charge of a battle android program in uh, a company called Vector Industries, or maybe, maybe just Vector, that where she is the designer and curator of a powerful battle android called Cosmos, who is spe- a specialized warrior android to fight the Gnosis. So that's that's the beginning, and it's a lot at the beginning. Like I, I was, a lot at the beginning. I was pretty lost when when the, when I was getting terms like Gnosis and 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 zohar 
and uh oh boy I'm like 15 hours deep and i'm pretty lost and and, so. and, and I, I think i think i think uh utic and there's a there's the galactic federation and the military and the vector are working together but they are not the same and i, I was i was a little bit lost i was talking to a lot of people on the woglinda just trying to figure things out and was not 100 there by the end of the events on the on the Voglinda. It's immediately like kind of a harder sci-fi setting than what we were getting from Xenogears, which was kind mm-hmm. of like a little more medieval-ish, um, even though it had a lot of sci-fi elements. This is like, nope, far-flung future. We're dealing with very Star Trek-y levels of technobabble and a kind of and kind of a much more it's very high concept, but it is definitely a lot to throw at the player right out of the gate. Yeah, I, I think um, we said this a little bit before we started recording, but Star Ocean is a sci-fi series that's all on the ground, and Xeno Saga feels like a sci-fi series that's 0% on the ground. You are in spaceships dealing with alien incursions and a lot of science fiction made-up language uh, from the get-go. I will say that say this, for, for if we're comparing it to Star Ocean, I wish Star Ocean was more like Xeno Saga, because at least <laughs> Xeno Saga knows what genre it is. I, I, I like the space opera e tone that the game sets for itself. It does feel very grand in scope, um, even even if like you do have to kind of get into the minutia of it a lot. A lot of that technology is just kind of eh. Don't worry about it. Yeah, I mean, as as a a new player, I, I feel like as I'm going through it, like. I feel that there is something else to be discovered here. Like, and I know some of the characters maybe from, I don't know the Bible that show up later. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, They show up later, but like, I I appreciate that. Like it, it it gives us this like strange opening and it feels a little Xenogears in that way. Right. Like you can definitely tell that the opening sequence is, made by the same person who made Xenogears. And I appreciate that because I remember the opening to Xenogears because I tried to replay that game recently and I was like, oh no, I can't deal with this camera. Um, but like, it, I, I feel like it it does a good job of laying the scene for like a situation that I'm interested in learning more about. Yeah, there's this air of mystery that um, you you want to see what what happens from that. Yeah, they, they start very broad and they are and they communicate a world or a setting that has thousands of years of history and uh, takes place all across the galaxy. And uh, there's multiple factions and personalities clashing here that, that creates intrigue immediately. But I, I, I mean, I'm not saying it's under explained or over explained. I, I just mm-hmm. felt um, I felt like I, I had sort of jumped into the pool head first and the water was a little cold yeah i mean (laughs) (laughs) even 10 hours in and not to get ahead of ourselves like i i feel like it is clearly still like ground setting like i'm like all right who are these people are they good are they bad are they okay i i I don't know um like who are the good guys who are the bad guys i know this is takahashi so the answer is none of them but (laughs) um I, i think it's interesting for that reason but anyway, um, episode one, um, I think in general, the game, I, I guess, to both its benefit and detracts from it is all about setting up everything. So it, uh, as you guys will go into it, uh, it's 
it's a uh, very slow and throws a lot of things in there. So it's 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 all about getting started, which yeah, it's good and bad. It does kind of have like extended prologue vibes yeah, for and, a lot of it. I, I, I'm engaged by the prologue, so that's something. And I feel like this, and we might get into this a little later, just talking about. I think Tyler would know more about this than me. But weren't they planning on making this six games at one point? Yes, it was, yes. It was originally it was, planned to be a six game series, but then. Three arcs. Uh, yeah, but but then some combination of budget constraints and time constraints uh, had them stop at three. But they, I think they did close some of the loops that they planned to close at, in that third game, right, Tyler? Without, without yeah. going too without going too hard into spoilers. Correct. Like it was a, going to be like three different s- story arcs, and this the the at least the first story arc is complete. Right, but um, I mean, just playing the opening missions on the Woglinda, you can you can feel the influences here. Like these people have definitely seen Legend of the Galactic Heroes and a lot of Gundam and Macross because there there's there there are fighter humanoid fighter mechs uh, called called uh, is is it is it eggs or a, or a, uh, eggs? eggs? It's it's yeah. kind of like eggs. It's like I, I thought. Yeah, it's AGWS, but I mm-hmm. thought I thought maybe it was like a bad translation of Aegis or Aegis. Oh, no, it stands for Antinosis Weapon System. Yeah, but I, I just thought that was a strange choice of pronunciation for that's uh, true for, for, for AGWS. But it's like, true. Like you, and, and you can and there's a obvious influences of your Star Trek and Battlestar Galactica and uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey um, and, and oh, scenes yeah. like scenes like going onto the bridge to meet the captain for the first time and the camera pans up to a uh to an open glass ceiling and fr- and sort of front of the ship to uh, to a sea of stars uh and the, and uh, the, there's you know a little bit of um a little bit of star wars in the uh, in the first space battle against the gnosis oh yeah but, no, but like, definitely but but mm-hmm. in the uh, in the opening chapters or the opening chapter singular I wasn't sure what this game was going to be about because you have uh, I mean we have Shion the scientist main character she's overworked and she cares a lot about um, getting her battle Android pre- uh, project live uh, because the it, there was an incident two years earlier where they uh, they rushed the project and failed and uh, and some people uh, lost their lives so she's concentrating on doing it uh safely and correctly but she's pushing herself a little bit there's these other ais on the or synthetic humanoids on the ship called realians that are used as uh as like as like infantry because they're considered less than human so they they can be sort of battle fodder but there's they also mentioned how uh, there was intergalactic law about this the fair treatment of re- of realians and and how they have the rights similar to humans but cyborgs or ex humans do not have those rights and and then we uh, they talk about the gnosis threat these these uh these like almost cthulhu mythos aliens that can phase through matter and uh, con- and don't uh, fall to conventional weaponry uh, attacking the ship and there's a, there's a lot of fear about the gnosis and then there's a secret society that maybe w- is has uh, feelers within the government uh, called is is it uh, is it Utec or Utic? Uh, Utic mm-hmm. yeah you yeah called Utic that uh, is trying to get the uh, Zohar power source for themselves and is a, a secret society that has a lot of shadowy goings on. Like, I, I didn't know what of those things was the which of those things was the main conflict of the game because <laughs> they just throw so many ideas and and struggles at you from the get go. I'm like, okay, this is just a lot. Uh, it's cool, but uh, but it's a lot, and I'm not sure 
what part of the story they want me to focus on right now. But, oh, well, here's a Gnosis attack, so I guess we'll start with that. <laughs> we'll, start, I, we'll start with the Gnosis. You know, you know what's interesting, and as you're, just, as you're talking about that, like I can see some of the influences like in the, the presses of what Takahashi wants to do later, because like I feel like, um, and this gets into some of the side quests and like, the, the gameplay elements, like the way you discover all of that is like just by like, walking around a ship and the entire ship looks exactly the same. One room looks the same as the next looks the same as the next. And there's no music for the mm-hmm. most part, um, which, you know, yay. A, a um, lot of the, a lot of the sound of footsteps on metal. This is a, a big sticking point of the game for me is that it's very strange to me that they went to the trouble of getting Yasunori Mitsuda back to do the score for this game. Um, again, to create continuity with Xenogears and that he has access to the London Philharmonic Orchestra and when there is music in the game, it's really good, but it's used very sparsely. Like they go, they go for a lot of deliberate ambient noise a lot of the time. So yeah. in a lot of the environments, most of what you're getting, there's no like background music or environment music. It's always footsteps and the mm. sounds of humming machinery or or clanking iron. And it's like, <laughs> I, I I see what you're going for. I just don't know if I like it. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it gets to the idea of like um, video games as art, like in like a pure sense. Like, I understand that you're trying to get this idea like we're in space, right? Like, oh, mm-hmm. we're in space and there's nothing else around and like there's no sound. But like I- I'm playing the video game and I have played it for a long time and like it's not very pleasant to walk around this very samey looking ship. And the game encourages you to walk around. Um, like it, if you're not walking around, you're things. not getting the emails that you need. Jesus. You're not interacting with the in- environments that you need. And the game wants you to explore, but it makes exploration very unpleasant, which is very different from Xenoblade, where exploration is incredibly pleasant, right? The music is phenomenal. Right. The environments are phenomenal. So you can see, I think, like the seeds of what Takahashi wants to become. Mm-hmm. But it, it, it's not really there yet. <laughs> the game, the game really, the game really wants you to take two giant laps around the Waglinda. It wants you to do it yeah. once while it's safe to find all the little interactable things, talk to all the NPCs, and then when the Gnosis attack, you're like, oh, now I know to shut these barricades. Now I know to open this airlock. <laughs> now I know to right. run around this right. corridor and kind of juke their juke them around it a bit. Two of the Marines challenge Xion to a game of tag, and that teaches you to how to sort of avoid the aliens when they're chasing you after the Gnosis attack. Yeah, it's like, oh, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, this this minigame is annoying. Why are they making me do this? And then like literally like 10 minutes later, oh. <laughs> now, which is funny because that that's I, that's kind of in, uh, like an interesting way to like teach the players certain things. But then there's all these other mechanics in the game that are like not explained at all you mean like, like every I, element of the combat <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, dude, like, okay. tech points skill points it gives you it gives you a b- extremely basic overview of how the combat system works during the tutorial section yeah. at the beginning but all the details are hidden away in your emails and even then they don't really do a great job of explaining no. oh yeah you need to be upgrading your techs when game facts to be- has to be the one to tell me to put your points into ether defense i'm like oh no this is yeah, not this yeah, is you, not you, good you get tech <laughs> points to you, know, you get tech points to upgrade your individual stats skill points to upgrade your skills uh you can only equip skills to like a to a hot bar meter if you change them from lightweight to to high speed 
I think is what they're supposed to it's be like. Low, it's like low speed to high speed. Yeah. 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 It, it, like, it, and um, th- there's a boost meter that I completely forgot about uh, ab- about an hour after they first taught me about it. There, there's a combo system where you switch between ether attacks and physical attacks, but also ether spells that use your EP and some weapons you have bullets. Some weapons use your EP, which is basically your MP instead of bullets. There's, uh, and uh, and some characters can pilot a mech called, called an eggs like we we mentioned earlier and they have their own upgrade system that's a little bit complicated so there's a lot of weird details going into the combat but i felt like i mean i haven't done a ton of combat encounters so far i i uh, i saved right after the the siggy momo re- rescue mission but i feel like i haven't needed to touch like two-thirds of it but um, and and it's so the combat and the gameplay is a little underexplained. But they're trying to do smart things, like give you um a, a reference manual in game through these emails and trying to teach you uh, basics of what of what's happening later in the Voglinda by when you first explore the Voglinda. So like, there's good ideas here, but the execution is sometimes a little strange and part of it is that this is a 2001 or 2002 uh, ps2 game so it's a little it's a little bit clumsy like the polygons are smoother than ps1 era polygons but everything sort of because of the way it's rendered it sort of feels like you're playing in slow motion sometimes and uh i mean maybe that's just my experience but so so this game has big ideas really wants to hit a couple like sci-fi zeniths but it because it's a little clumsy and and feels a little overcomplicated in some places. It, 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 it's not hitting everything I want, like a great RPG to hit in the opening hours. But I, but I don't mean this as a total negative because the plot stuff it's setting up and the world it's setting up is really fascinating. I just, I, I think I've played better PS2 RPGs like this. Is that, is that, am I, am I being a little bit too rude? No, rude? I mean, I, no, I think no, you're totally... You're, fair i think it's a fair it's a fair point i mean this game i think i think personally i think it looks really good for the time or at least as far as the 2001 rpg goes if i was going to sandwich this between final fantasy 10 and shadow hearts i think xenosaga would be leaning a little closer to the final fantasy 10 side of things you can see the budget i mean i I think i mean i think this game is good and and look and looks fine but it but i mean it it doesn't look as good as a final fantasy 10 which is no no no, it's still, it's still like we're still, we're, we're, we're still not working with like a flagship SquareSoft budget. But as far as like the way the game plays and the way the game is structured, I think it is very slow paced. I do think the combat does a pretty bad job of explaining itself. And even then, I think most battles, um, at least until early on, take a little too long. Um, <laughs> Wait until you get to episode two. I, I, I I have no intention. I, I, I may end up just I may end up just watching the cutscenes from two. But I mean, even if I remember from the end of this game, I was like, oh yeah, right. These combat encounters all take five minutes or more, and the enemies keep respawning every time I exit a new area. Ah, and, but, and um, you know, I, I probably should have said this earlier. I say this with affection and with frustration. This game is early PS2 as hell. Like it it, it just it really. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it, it ha- like from the look and how things render to how it's you know it, it you know does not look as good or play as smoothly as late PS2 RPGs. But like this game is good, but it's very early PS2, and there's even just 
I, like I'm, I'm slightly annoyed that uh, circle is select and X is is cancel because I, I've I've been I've been programmed for the opposite over the over the ensuing decades of playing yeah that's your games that on trips PS, me up every so often. yeah <laughs> definitely. But I mean, I like all these conflicts it's set up. I mean, they uh, let's talk about the main characters a little bit. Xion is portrayed right from the beginning as a little bit clumsy, a little bit overworked, but definitely brilliant because she's the head of this uh, of this huge R and D division. And um, I, I, I just feel the uh, the cam- the compassion in her character because uh, like when you uh, she clashes a little bit with a marine named Virgil. And he uh, he sort of treats the uh, the the realians, um, synthetic humans as subhuman, while Xion is extremely uh, empathetic towards them and is like is like helping them with uh, with uh, regular maintenance and and calibrations and stuff. And she like you can you can feel that she uh, that that she you know like feels for the AIs that sh- that are part of her career. And she, she's working on this battle android project, but. Uh, but but yeah, like there's different attitudes about AIs in this game, and Xion comes from a very very empathetic uh, viewpoint of them. She's also pragmatic because she also has a a healthy amount of of respect and fear for Cosmos's capabilities. She is a very empathetic character. Um, that like even though she's has a lot, she thinks about others before herself a lot of times, uh, a lot to her detriment. Because there's several times like where where she's seeing like that mysterious little girl and it's like she just whenever someone asks her if she's okay she's like yeah yeah i'm okay but she just she internalizes so much and it's um yeah she's i i love Sion. she's great she 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 sees visions of a golden young girl uh that it it, it appears that she's the only person that can see it and it, it, the girl looks like a younger version of Sion to me but that could be that could be wrong could be off uh, maybe it's supposed to be Ellie from Xenogears, for all I know. Uh, but like, there's there's stuff going on with Xion that is not clear to us yet. But she comes across as brilliant but clumsy, definitely empathetic, but um, and 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 not as entire and pragmatic, but not as like rigidly pragmatic as Cosmos, for example. And uh, and uh, let's go into Cosmos next, I guess. Um, uh, Cosmos is the battle android that is the project that Xion's team is working on um uh, early on in the game after Xion you know t- does a lap around the ship and talks to a bunch of people um Cosmos uh, awakens on her own accord and then and, and that sends an emergency signal out through the ship but then shortly after that uh, there's a second emergency signal about a gnosis attack which suggests that Cosmos awakened because she could sense the impending uh, gnosis and so the the these horrible aliens attack a bunch of the um crew members that you were just interacting with earlier are horribly murdered it's a it's a little it's more than a little bit grisly oh god it's grim uh but but then it's uh very grim but then you have a very cool introduction scene <laughs> where cosmos uh like like spins in like a figure skater c- covered in guns uh and and just uh, uh absolutely murks a bunch of the a, a bunch of the gnosis aliens it's a and, very uh, good fights. It's a very good action sequence. It's it's mm. well choreographed. It's well it feels well filmed almost. Yeah, yeah, no, there's zero player control in it. it it's it is it is a straight up cutscene, but it is a it is it's an exciting, beautifully filmed one that really communicates Cosmos as this uh, super powerful, elegant robot mm-hmm. that might be your only hope against the Gnosis because like again, the, like mm-hmm. the Gnosis are completely immune to the bullets and other weapons of the of the crew. Uh, so. 
uh, Cosmos has also become a bit of a mascot for Xenosaga and maybe even Monolith Soft in general um, in the in the ensuing 20 years. So what do we think about this lady? So many figures. <laughs> so many figures. I, I love her, honest to God. I think, like, qualms with this game aside, like, Cosmos is an immediately iconic design, and there's a reason that, like, she keeps showing up as, like, a mascot or in other monolith soft games or other tangentially related products like project cross wars like like cosmos is awesome monolith soft was a developer on this but it was published by bandai namco and i've seen cosmos stuff pop up in tales of games before like like she's Mm -hmm. a a pop she's a popular enduring character yeah and and i think there's a good reason for that because not only is she like a a really cool design but like she does have have that kind of like calm cool and collected robot badass personality thing going and and it's and it, and it's just it's just really fun. And just uh, replaying this game, I also like. There's times where she's a bit sassy, and it's like, I mean, she's not intentionally being sassy, but it's just the way her like deadpan nature is. It's just <laughs> great. <laughs> I was gonna say like they also do a good job of communicating that she's powerful, um, mm-hmm. like whether it's through like the emails or like we're going to allow her to have right this weapon or this weapon. And, and some of this happens maybe a little bit after where some of you are, but like it, even when she's considered to be like, quote unquote, less powerful than um, she needs to be like, she says like, I'll, okay, I'll, I'll work at 30% capacity. She's still doing like twice as much damage as other characters are. Or when she's like doing dishes, like I need to, control my my power output just right she's like no i'm good i don't need your help either um yeah cosmos is amazing i mean like i I think that she is of all the characters that monolith has created she is the most iconic for a reason um and she's the most important blade to pull in xenoblade chronicles 2 for a reason yeah she she's Um, one of she's i mean i again i haven't played uh the past the first few hours of xenoblade 2 but um that game has a sort of gacha like system where you where blades are or summons can be rare drops and she's like the rarest best rare drop right mm, yeah yes. or, cl- or close to it she's not necessarily the best blade but she is the rarest drop but she's the best blade like that is easy to use she's the best like, blade to me yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> unless you're doing like min maxing stuff which uh that, that that couldn't have been me that wasn't me nope. I, saying, I think scott <laughs> spends an entire chunk of his stream trying to get her <laughs> oh but uh, towards the end of the uh, all the scenes on the Voglinda, um, Cosmos kicks a bunch of ass. Uh, you manage to uh, team up with uh, is, is it Cherno- Chernikov or, or uh, Cherenkov? Cherenkov, yeah. Cheren- Cherenkov, that's it. Um, uh, Cherenkov, the second in command of the ship, manages to teleport away the uh, the Zohar piece that the ship was carrying um, into a uh, in, into a some kind of wormhole or or warp drive. I don't I don't know. Okay. I don't or, I don't mean to pause the, you there, but don't they say that it's like a replica zohar at that oh, yeah, point no, they, they say uh, uh, they an, say an emulator yeah yes yeah. I, I mean oh, like i don't understand what's going on in this game but like i'm just i just want to make sure i'm clear on that <laughs> they'll they, they go into that a bit later um than where we're at right now so yeah yeah, yeah the, there's they like refer 12... to it as a Zo- they refer to it as a zohar emulator and we know that zohar are these in- incredible power sources and 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 the one that they're carrying was found in a uh, 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 in, in an, at an excavation site. So it's maybe not like a true Zohar, like the one that was found in Kenya, but it's a very powerful thing, though. It's basically a copy of that original Zohar. Okay, and there are multiple copies or emulators. 
but 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 still it's powerful and and the gnosis mm-hmm. want it exactly trying trying to trying to go back to something you you touched on just for a second tyler uh you did mention that there's 12 of them plus the original uh, let's see i believe so which makes yeah 13 ah so it's, it's makes, 13 mm-hmm. it's 13 shards of the original source i see mm-hmm, interesting. i was gonna say it's jesus christ and his apostles <laughs> oh well no, i was I was, they, I was talking about Final Fantasy XIV, but they yeah. each have I know names, you were. so you can probably guess what some 13. of their names are. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I, I remember that part. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, I mean, the Bible loves twelves. I mean, the 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 twelve birthstones are disc- are uh, mentioned in the Bible, and and mm-hmm. there are the apo- the apostles. It's well, I, I I would not be shocked if there is more Judeo Christian symbolism than I even originally anticipated in this game. <laughs> But uh, towards the end of the of this segment on the Vaglinda, uh, uh, Cosmos makes a tactical decision that uh, some of the attacking Gnosis are sort of obstructed by uh, by Virgil, who's a, a sort of a, a marine that you team up with briefly. Who's a who's the, he's the sort of uh, the, the racist, racist anti yeah. realian re- re- uh, character, and it, she decides to just shoot directly through him to stop a Gnosis <laughs> that's about that's about to attack your group. And basically slaughtering him, which is, you know, the opposite of, of how the Marines were shooting earlier, because like Shion accidentally steps into a bunch of gunfire and, and, and is emerges unscathed, <laughs> which I, I'm still confused about. But the uh, but but yeah, Shion is horrified that Cosmos sacrificed a Marine that had fought alongside them for her mission. And I think this is uh, the first of many contrasts of this game of the different types of characters we're dealing with. And when I say types of characters, I'm, I'm, I mean both in personality and in literally what what uh, what they are in the fiction. Because because uh, Shion is a human who's deeply empathetic towards all life forms. Cosmos is an android who has you know programming and AI to uh, simulate emotions and other things. Uh, but she says that, well, um, our mission success raised by several percentage points by sacrificing Virgil. And th- that's horrifying to Xion, but uh, but very normal seeming to uh, to Cosmos. Mm-hmm. And when they and, and both right after it happens and when they briefly separate and reunite on another ship called the Elsa, because because spoiler, the uh, Wogland is not very long for this world. That argument sort of continues. So you have the ultra pragmatic android cosmos the ultra empathetic human Xion, and introducing the next group a little bit uh the former human turned cyborg ziggy who who seems to resent the uh, his his old human memories and wants and and wants them to be excised from his robot body after he completes his mission and momo who's a realian but uh, the you know a synthetic human but in the form of a young girl who has secret intel embedded into her brain, and that makes her a want that makes her a wanted person by the villains of this game, uh, Utik. Mm-hmm. So, like, those are four different kinds of life forms with different relationships with their own humanity, in a way. So, I, I again, I haven't gotten a lot out of these characters yet. I mean, Momo seems like a sweet little girl, which makes me instantly dislike her because we know that I don't love, I do, I do not love children characters in RPGs. Don't worry, there's some trauma incoming, but um. Okay, if she's very sad, maybe I'll feel better about her. But uh, but uh, Ooh, but, but in um, general, I, I I want either teams that are only kids or only teenagers and older. Don't give me a, a team of grownups with one token kid. I never like that. Never. I am I am a big fan of Ziggy though. Um, not just because yes. he's voiced by my boy Richard Epcar. 
Um, so it's Ansem. I um, really enjoy his backstory. is so dark. It is dark. Like, it's un- this dude, this dude signed up to be an organ donor. Stuff bad stuff happened to him. He tried to unalive himself, and then his body was. They were like, "Nope, we're gonna bring you back to life against your will." And now you're a robot super soldier forever. Have fun. Yeah, yeah it's sort of like Cosmos and Ziggy are two halves of the RoboCop storyline. Like, like I, I mean, know, I mean, actually, because because like Ziggy has these former memories as a human and is and is like and sort of wants to put it behind him, while Cosmos is a robot sort of getting more in touch with her humanity mm-hmm. and 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 she's also bound by the will of uh, of of her of her prime directive which you know is, it comes into like I, I i i forget the name of the evil corporation in robocop but like but but uh, her relationship with Ve- with vector is kind of like robocop's relationship with uh with uh, with uh, the company there so it's again but those four characters you know what we're gonna add two more characters to the mix there's chaos and junior who are the the next two that get introduced chaos is a very cheerful young young boy who has the power to like photoshop erase gnosis by touch it's just something you can do yeah and 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 his explanation is you know well some people are some people are good at math and some people are good at writing and some people can erase evil aliens for unexplained reasons and shion accepts accepts that with with startling uh ease i thought i was gonna say i I, I just like that everyone accepts that this dude's name is chaos and his name is spelled with all lowercase letters and no one bets an eye they're just like yeah that, that's suppo- our boy chaos he just it's does- supposed to contrast cosmos's name which is in all caps yeah chaos and oh, cosmos is, is there is there <laughs> is there another robot later named erebos or or nix or, or, or i mean or there is, is too, i don't know tell us there is Telos. Telos. <laughs> yeah so yeah so so basically, so basically we are we're uh, this game does eventually become persona 3 got it uh-huh um this game was first <laughs> I think it eventually becomes Persona 3. Atlas, Atlas, Atlas has been eating Monolith Soft's lunch. <laughs> but but Persona had alien invasions before Xenosaga existed. Uh, That's true. Fair. Yeah, I, I haven't quite met Junior yet, but uh, but he's another form of synthetic human, correct? Yes, he is a URTV. Which is sort of like a re-alien, but not the same. I, I again i i've i've barely met him so yeah, I, I mean like I, i've met him and i don't know what that means so i like it <laughs> okay so a urtv is different from a utic which is different from an agwp which is different from a umw which is i, th- I think which is unis Mo- which is unis, is it Eggs. called like is, is that the unis mundus network but no. not but, 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 but but the mundus in this is different from the mundus in devil may cry and the virgil in this is different from the virgil in devil may cry and but and and, and there's only there's six main characters that are all different versions of human there's, or robot there's smoke coming out of your ears yeah it's this game is, is also a cosmos this, and uh, well I, I mean i'm starting to wonder if the if the seventh character is going to be a cylon or something because this game is just a capital a a lot that they hit you with it once, <laughs> and uh, P- Peter was talking about gushing over voice actors. We got my boy Crispin Freeman vo- voicing one yes. of the villains. Oh yeah! Oh, his performance as Albedo is just fantastic. It, I have heard, I think, one Albedo line so far. It was about ten minutes before I hit the save point where I previous stopped, and I'm like, oh, oh, I know who th- I know who that is. This is going to be good. Albedo, 
Albedo, I, we, I, we won't get into him. We'll get into him more in the next episode. But Albedo is a legitimately terrifying villain. I, I appreciate him. So albedo much. is a term meaning reflectivity of a planet's atmosphere. Venus has a very high albedo and Mars has a very low albedo. Uh, and that that is what a minor in astronomy will get you uh, about 17 years after the fact. Um, oh, wait, no, sorry. Huh. 13 years after the fact. I'm not. Whoops, I, 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 college wasn't that long ago. <laughs> <laughs> but uh but yeah i, I mean th- this is sort of early ps2 voice acting so it, it's not exactly the uh the same cast of characters you're used to seeing it uh in anime of the 2000s but there are some familiar uh faces in the in the voice cast and and it's, it's mm-hmm. fun you know getting your neurons uh firing with recognition for some of them for for, for me Crispin freeman jumps out though he does definitely and i think the voice performances are generally pretty good all things considered yeah i mean for the time, definitely. Yeah. yeah. You have some clunkers here and there, but for the most part, it sounds like... I actually feel like Xion's is like the, one of the weaker voice performances <gasps> really? at this point. Yeah. Uh, she seems I like think... so over-the-top earnest all the time that I'm like, uh, I, I, I think her... I, I like her delivery of her dialogue, but it's just... I think it's more to do with the way she's written. Um, I also find it annoying that she's introduced with a shot of her butt, but that's a whole other can of worms. Yeah, uh, I mean, there, there's some male gaze in the camera here. Uh, oh, that, that, oh, yeah. Not, 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 not even in the in the top 10 worst versions oh, of that, though. Yeah. That I mean, Chaos literally like, spends like 10 minutes like watching Cosmos before we really get to know him. So there you go. And, and when they're right before that, we have the scene where they're all eating dinner and Xion makes them all dinner and they're all talking about, oh, we never have... Uh, yeah, we're we, all, we need you know, a woman a bunch on of the bros. ship. We're all a bunch of bros. We can't cook and yeah, i'm just over I, here like I, I struggle with that a little bit yeah hey. <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. shirtless hey. pilot guy uh wastes no time at all hitting on Xion and 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 uh you know gazing long, <laughs> longingly at cosmos by the way i just realized we made it through this entire podcast without mentioning alan at all oh and alan? I think that's extremely uh, which is su- which is <laughs> such an incredibly alan appropriate thing. yeah <laughs> he, he even he alan even is, is the ultimate cuck he he even spells his name in the most boring version of the word alan it, it's like uh, like he's uh, he's the second in command of Xion's division. He obviously has a crush on her. Xion is oblivious, uh, and he's again he's 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 pretty vanilla. I'm I don't I mean I I don't uh, I'm not annoyed by deeply by Alan, but he's he's kind of a, a nothing character compared to the your six playable characters who are all way more interesting. I like how he was the only one who didn't buy Chaos's explanation about his powers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's like he's like the normal person in in the yeah. group. He's the audience. Yeah, he he's the he's the Xander and Buffy of this. He's the uh, he he's like the sarcastic uh, voice of semi reason ch- chiming in that no one's going to listen to. But uh, or at least from my limited experience, that's what Alan seems like. And we we've covered most of what we I've played so far in the game. Uh, there's a lot of. Uh, cutaways to shadow organizations talking about what's going on in the background everyone seems to want this zohar piece or zohar emulator the gnosis are a bit of a faceless threat they don't i mean we even haven't even heard any of them speak we know what some of their monsters and spaceships look like but nothing about their motivations or goals other than that they want that zohar piece and i i'm still not sure if like utic is totally separate from the federation and vector or if Utic has like moles in the government and vector or it, it, it or they're sort of all three of those are a Venn diagram. I, I don't know. I, there's a lot of mystery in place still here. 
without getting into specifics, because I do know a little bit about what happens later. I know, I know for sure Tyler does. But I'm pretty sure that, like, the guy in charge of Vector, who we see very briefly, um, his yeah, name is Wilhelm. Oh, no, Wilhelm? No, 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 no. No, Wilhelm is, Wilhelm is the CEO or whatever of the Vector Corporation. He's like oh, the little right. white-haired dude who's, like, talking into a monitor, like, all mysterious, like, about how, oh, well, we need to, like, move the plan forward, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, and this is the point where I said to myself, God, this this wants to be Evangelion so bad. Like, this is this is Gendo and Sele. I was mixing up Utic and Vector briefly because Margulis is I thought he was a, a, an officer in the Federation because he was giving orders to Cherenkov, but then it looks like he's actually part of the leadership of Utik, the 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 resurgence yeah. slash terrorist and, and organization. Yeah. I and think Cherenkov actually works for Utik, but he, he does like yeah, he works. Okay. He's like a mole. Yeah. Okay. So so, so so Margulis is all Utik. Cherenkov is also, a is a Utik mole. Can we talk about the Margulis fight? <laughs> oh my god oh, that so fight did, did was so hard I, ref, I refused to lose it but like it took me about an hour to it win it took me it took me 30 minutes give or take <laughs> and that was because i found the speed stim earlier on so you just give that to zeki and have him go nuts but it is a very hard fight you have to make sure that momo is healing him every turn yes and no, he, has, he, has to, he has to stand in they they even explain that uh Ziggy can cover Momo if she stands directly behind him, which is the first time they they hardly mentioned positioning at all in this game. Again, underexplained battle mechanics is is part of this game's lifeblood, I guess. So you really need yeah. to have Momo directly behind Ziggy, healing him with probably three quarters of her moves. <laughs> and you don't really need to. Um, I also find it annoying that none of Momo's attacks do anything at that stage of the game, but whatever. But um, it's it's um, you don't need to win that fight. I'm pretty sure. We, I think we all just did it because we're really? stubborn. No, I don't think you have. I think the fight, I think it continues if you die. Oh, I, I don't know. It, it took me a, lot, a while, but I did. I, I did uh, win that one. I used. Yeah, so I, many yeah, items. We all, I think we all did. But I think the game expects you to just give up and die. I used so many items. At least items are fairly cheap in this game. And <laughs> this and, uh, and, like, get, and I responded to one email that allowed me to invest <gasps> in one of the item shops and then, then that gave me a permanent 10% mm -hmm. discount. So I was like, all right, I guess, yeah. I guess I have to try and get every damn email now. Did you see you get a good, the, you get a good equipment too. There, I know. <laughs> I remember there was one email where you could invest in a company called Tesla. Like well, Tesla, I, I, but, I have, I mean, I would have different feelings about investing in Tesla in 2001 versus 2022. Let's say. Can, can we talk about how one of the emails you get is literally an ad for like a Namkai band, a, a band, a band. I, a I found two of them. I also yeah, got an email from a Tekken character. So, oh yeah. my God. That is, the, that is the best. That is the best one because I haven't, I haven't gotten, I haven't gotten to that one yet, but I'm a big Tekken fan. Who, who sends the email? Uh, Kazia. Oh, like, okay. Okay. It's, because it's funny because most of those ad or those emails are just basically ads for games, but that one is actually written from Kazuya's like perspective. Yeah, from from is is it like from the Mishima Zaibatsu and inviting you to the King of the Iron Fist tournament or something? Well, he's just he's talking to Shion's like just talking about like his latest match and then he's hoping, bragging about a victory. <laughs> yeah, and then he's like, oh, hopefully my son Jin will be able to put up a good fight. And it's just and, like and, and, him well, and I, I think. Oh boy, if my if my Tekken lore is correct, I think 
Kazuya steals the Mishima Corporation or Zaibatsu from Heihachi around mm-hmm. the Tekken three or four range, and then Jin does the same to Kazuya in in that b- between Tekken six and seven. Yes. So it's so that that's a bit of a self fulfilling prophecy there, Kazuya. But uh, <laughs> but but I mean but that I mean Tekken's part of the lore of Tekken is the best martial artist gets to ha- inherit the largest uh, financial institution right. in the world, which is already crazy. But uh, I don't know if it's that much crazier than me trying to remember like the names of five different types of humanoid uh, uh, AI life forms. Because <laughs> because what, what did you what did you say that uh, uh, Junior was again a UHF? Uh, URTV. URTV. Got it. <laughs> UHF is UHF is the the Weird Al Yankovic movie about a TV station. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm fairly certain I'm playing this game on a, on a URTV. No way. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. All right. Uh, well, uh, there, there's a lot to talk about here, and I'm worried if we're getting near the end of the episode if I'm talking about uh, the 1990s Weird Al Yankovic movie, but uh, with, with a young Michael Richards in it. <laughs> but, uh, uh, Zach, you and I are both playing this for the first time. Uh, we're both in the 7 to 10 hours in range, I think. Uh, what's one guess or one assumption that you have for something that's going to happen later that you're you're curious Uh, about or looking forward to? That's a tough question. Uh, I'm going to be honest. Like I, and I I say this as a positive, I have no idea what's happening in this game. Um, Like it it is setting up like so many mysteries after mysteries, after mysteries, after mysteries. Like there's some like organization that is like trying to grab momo they don't really seem entirely good to me they seem to have some relationship to utic i think that, i think like, that is utic isn't it i don't think so because the, the scientist that created momo was one of the co-founders of utic right but i think his wife or yeah but uh, something it, it, I, think I, I i have no idea his, his, <laughs> yeah his ex-wife yeah yeah, his, his ex-wife is trying to rescue Momo from Utic, and she's the one that sends Ziggy after them. Right. So she's the one who's trying to grab him back, and it seems like she works for the government, but the government doesn't seem great either. Um, I, I My guess is that, like, everybody sucks except for, like, the six characters who we're going to like. That's yeah, my I, guess. I, I, I think that, like, I don't trust Vector or or the government or the terrorists at all. Like I, I don't, yeah, I uh, yeah. like, like, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure that Albedo and Margulis are two major antagonists that don't do mm-hmm. a character turn or something. So I'm, pr- I'm pretty confident that you are bad guys, but I don't really trust anyone. Maybe even including Shion. maybe Shion's being manipulated by this golden star child in her visions. Uh, for all I know. So like, I, I, again, I am in a similar Shion has like a level of empathy that I can't, I can't buy as, as a negative person. I, I, I don't know. I feel like she wants to bring out the best in everyone and wants all these different humanoid life forms to get along. And that's going to bite her in the ass at, at some point. I, I mean, I think that's probably true, but I also think that at the end of the day, like she's going to be the protagonist. Yes. Like I, I think that Shion is basically a good character and, and a good person that we're supposed to empathize with as the heroine. But I also think that she's probably, I, I feel like her actions are going to be manipulated somehow. Like eventually, I think it's fair. eventually yeah. she's going to be doing the bad thing. And that was the enemy's plan all along, but I have no idea what the bad thing is going <laughs> to be or who the enemy is. I mean, I played Xenoblade three recently and I know that Takashi believes corporations bad. So yeah, I, I don't disagree. Yeah. Again, again, like I, I was getting 
uh, 2001 a space odyssey and battlestar galactica and robocop <laughs> vibes all all like all at different points with different characters um the, the, the character i'm probably the most intrigued by uh who we talked about a little bit already is ziggy like i i think it's fascinating that this guy is haunted by memories of his past he tried to commit suicide he want he wants to have a peaceful death uh but was re- resurrected as a robot against his will he doesn't qualify as a full human or as a realien so he doesn't have the same level of human rights that they do and his wish is to complete this mission and then have his memories leave his body so he can be a it, like a a mindless robot performing mercenary mi- missions in blissful ignorance like that is that is weird and dark and i like it and i want to get more out of ziggy for Ziggy's full story, check out the Japanese mobile phone games in Osaka Pied Piper. Great. Mm. <laughs> yep. Heck love it. yeah, let's go. There's, there's, I, a, I, there's, I, a, there's a fan translation. It's great. It's great. Oh boy, this is a little, that, that's a little bit too Marvel Cinematic Universe for me. I, I I lost a lot of interest in the MCU when they started assigned started assigning me television shows as homework. But <laughs> no, same. <laughs> but. Uh, but I'm 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 with Zach on this. Like like this is a new experience for me, and I was anticipating it to be a lot of cutscenes and a lot of confusion, and and it is that. But it's also really intriguing. So I'm uh, I'm excited to go forward with this, and I am going to really no life this one over the next week or so to try and have it finished by the t- next time we record. But I think that's about it for uh, today's podcast. Uh, this was a very rambling, confusing introduction to Xenosaga <laughs> episode one, Der Wilsermacht, uh, f- with Retro Encounter. Um, I, I thank you so much, Tyler, for guiding us through uh, the confusion here while trying not to reveal too much because I, I could I could feel you trying to rein in your excitement <laughs> like, a, like a levee trying to hold back a, 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 a raging waterfall. Yeah, it was really tough, but yeah, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> but uh we're not done with xenosaga yet uh we're next week is going to be part two of our journey through xenosaga episode one and uh, but there's still going to be one more thursday left in december after that that's going to be our 2002 year in review episode we do we have done a year in review here on retro encounter every year since 2015 and i'm not breaking the streak just because i found ai the somnium files nirvana initiative a little disappointing uh but uh <laughs> agreed <laughs> it's not bad. you can find you can find my thoughts on rpgfan.com <laughs> yeah, you you can you can also find zach's thoughts on uh xenoblade chronicles 3 which is the game that we discussed last uh two weeks ago on retro encounter hosted by rpgfan.com <laughs> but uh in the future of retro encounter we already have january planned out we're doing two episodes on ogre battle 64 person of lordly caliber as well as one episode on pokemon uh, speaking of disappointing recent games and uh and uh one episode Woof. on rpg fan fashions do's and don'ts uh so if you're interested in pokemon ogre battle fashion xeno saga uh xeno blade muppets then uh, rpg fan and its podcasts are here for you uh oh and also we do have a uh, february picked out i think we're, um uh, we had lost odyssey win our public poll that was Ooh, conducted last yeah. month so i am 90 percent sure lost odyssey will be the game that we play in february for retro encounter but that depends on people's schedules it might get bumped back a little bit if things don't line up perfectly but just you can expect uh, ogre battle 64 and lost odyssey in the near future i was literally playing lost odyssey when it won the poll and i'm just like do i just wait to finish this game now <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah this, yes. Is, already, this is going to be a xenosaga interruption and two and then uh back to lost odyssey conclusion but Works for uh, me. 
yeah, listeners, the best way to reach us on any of those topics is retro at RPGfan.com. RPGfan.com is in many different theaters of the internet, including that website itself, as well as pages on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Discord, YouTube, Twitch. We are RPG Fan or RPG Fan Com on all of those different things. RPG Fan also has an online shop. RPGfan.com slash shop is a, uh, a store website that uh, where you can get RPG Fan merch like coffee cups, apparel, phone cases, pins, uh, and on a website hosted by tpublic.com. So if you want to support the website uh, with your dollars, uh, the best way to do so is to go on to rpgfan.com slash shop and buy something. And we're also one of only three podcasts that are hosted by rpgfan.com. There's Random Encounter every two weeks, mostly about randomness and recent RPGs, as well as Rhythm Encounter every other two weeks, mostly about rhythmness and RPG music. And you can review Retro Encounter or those other two podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or whatever uh, podcast listening venue you choose. Surprisingly to me, Spotify is, uh, by a significant margin, our largest audience. So uh, hello, folks on Spotify. But if you want to leave us feedback, uh, you can leave us feedback on whichever of those you like. Uh, but if you want to leave us feedback as individuals and not as, an, as a podcast or as a topic, uh, let's tell them how to reach each other while Twitter maybe still exists? <laughs> Question mark? Uh, starting uh, with you, Zach. Uh, well, you can't reach me on Twitter because I'm a teacher and my account is private. But you can email me. Uh, Zach W at RPGfan.com, or you can find me on RPG Fans Discord at Zach W. So that's why all of my teacher friends have aliases on Facebook and Twitter. That's a true story. <laughs> uh, but now, same question to you, Peter. Uh, you can find me at I Have Fury on Twitter, although, again, because of all the Elon Musk related nonsense, I'm kind of taking a break right now, so I may not be very active for the near future. Um, and I don't really have any other social media to share around, so uh, just don't perceive me. Thank you. All right. Uh, now, Tyler, how can fi- folks find you? Um, yeah, I'm uh, at Cosmos Chaos on Twitter, which, yeah, Zenosaga reference. A little on the nose. Yeah. <laughs> just, a, just a little bit. Just, just yeah, a Tyler, little bit. Tyler, you win the award for being the most on brand in this episode of Retro Encounter. <sighs> well, well, thanks. Like, I, I'll cherish that reward. <laughs> But come on, don't hold you out on this. How how can you how can you find that uh, that Zeno podcast that you host? Oh gosh, uh, well it's you can uh, find it on Spotify and all your other podcast platforms. YouTube, uh, our Twitter is uh, Zeno Chat Podcast, and uh, we're also on Instagram. So if you'd rather be there, we're Zeno Chat on there. Thank you. Excellent. Now, personally, there are many places I would rather be than Twitter, but unfortunately, I am trapped there. Uh, you can find me on Twitter most of the time at The Real Monsoon, at other times at Evoker for Dogs, and on RPG Fans Discord, I am Monsoon Mike. So, yeah, boy, I'm, I'm not even sure what to make the final callback on this podcast. There's, there's so much to talk about, and I'm still, I still don't remember what the what the four letter designation of of what junior is is it <laughs> w- 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 was it u eight u r t v u r t v okay u r t v we are done with this episode thank you <laughs> good night and good luck <laughs>